normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. In segment three, Marshall Glickman, he's the CEO of G2 Strategic. He's going to join us. Are the days of publicly financed venues over? We will discuss that topic with Marshall in segment three. In segment four, it's the story of the week. One of the stories of the year will be in our top five, I can guarantee you, in our year-end top sports business stories of the year. Episodes coming up in a few weeks. Tiger Woods. Unless you've been under a rock, you understand the drama that took place in the wee hours of the day after Thanksgiving, Friday morning. We're going to discuss the fallout of that, and I've got two angles on that. One, the sports business angle, how this affects Tiger with his sponsors, with the PGA Tour. And then, when I'm not hosting this show, I'm a media coach, and I want to talk about how I think the people that have advised him have handled this situation thus far couple of other notes, visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend and follow me via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com and link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. My handle on Twitter, at SBRadio. I'm joined in studio by our producer, Bobby Corser, and by Nathan Roach. Nathan, uh, some big changes in college football this week, Charlie Weiss out at Notre Dame. No surprise there. Bobby Bowden had been at Florida State for three and a half decades, one of the most successful college coaches ever, really synonymous with Florida State football. He's shown the door at Florida State. Yeah, I'm a little bummed out about Bowden. Weiss, I mean, that's a no-brainer. But, I mean, that he was a, Bowden was a staple at Florida State, and I just feel like he was wronged by the university. Well, and the Notre Dame... Uh, firing of Charlie Weiss. Boy, we'll give you the details on that, but it was very expensive, and it's going to be expensive for them to find their next coach. Uh, and also, our favorite pinata, Bud Selig. A <laughs> little bit of news with Bud Selig this week, and it's good news for those of us on this show. We'll talk about that coming up in headlines, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. You're listening to Sports business radio happy holidays this is brian berger from sports business radio i know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin to me it's an easy call go where sports business education got its start at the warsaw sports marketing center at the university of oregon As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, 
passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, two of college football's most high-profile programs made coaching changes this week. First, Notre Dame fired head football coach Charlie Weiss this week. They had to pay him a reported $18 million in the process. Weiss has six years remaining on a 10-year contract that he signed during his first season in South Bend. Nathan, no surprise here. Notre Dame finishes 6-6. Six and six. Uh, Everyone knew this was a make-it-or-break-it season for Charlie Weiss. He has not done well against the elite teams. He has one of the worst records of any Notre Dame coach in the last three seasons. But I'll tell you what, the MVP is Charlie Weiss's agent. Anyone who can get a 10-year contract and you're not even a year on the job, guaranteed for him to go to the NFL now probably and get an offensive coordinator job with $18 million in his pocket – that's an unbelievable deal. Well, here's what surprises me about this, and I know that there's other components, but NBC has a con- has a deal, a TV deal with Notre Dame to broadcast all their home games. So, it to me, it still doesn't make any sense why you char- you fire Charlie Weiss. He's obviously a good coach or has been successful in the past. Because your alums don't want him anymore. Well, that's that's the only reason you can think of because most schools would say, well, the program right now is not doing well. We're not getting the TV time to get us on the air. Well, Notre Dame doesn't have to worry about that. Instead, they pay out $18 million to Weiss. Now they're going to have to pay another coach. To me, aside from the alums, it makes more sense to keep him on. Well, that was a big question, but I think at the end of the day, they just said, you know what, this guy's not getting it done. If we're a winning program playing in BCS games, and competing for national championships, the money will come. The other story this week in college football, Bobby Bowden out at Florida State. 44 years he's been a coach, and he won 388 games in his career at Samford, West Virginia, and Florida State, where he spent the last 34 seasons. Bowden won two national titles with Florida State in 1993 and 1999, Among his top achievements, a string of 14 straight seasons ending in 2000 where the Seminoles won at least 10 games and finished ranked in the top five of the AP poll. Florida State was 152-19-1 during that span. I don't know that we'll ever see a span again over a 14-year period where a coach has that kind of a winning percentage. Really unparalleled. And he's 80 years old. Some people think he's lost some of his faculties, much like Joe Paterno at Penn State. It's a sad ending for Bobby Bowden. It's good that he'll get a bowl game where they can have a little bit of pomp and circumstance to send him out in the right way, hopefully. But, uh, you know, this is kind of a coach who maybe the game has passed him by. And I hope he doesn't wind up like Bear Bryant. For those of you who remember Bear Bryant, the coach at Alabama, he died soon after he was done coaching because he just didn't really have much to live for after that. And I hope that doesn't happen here with Bobby Bowden. Well, bad on Florida State. I mean, he's been an icon at Florida State. And the fact of the matter is he's 80 years old. He might last a couple more seasons, but you got to let him finish with dignity. And the way that Florida State handled this early on, we know that Bobby Bowden left on his own terms, quote unquote. But you, you let him reach his tenure with the program and leave on his own terms. It's like firing Joe Paterno. This is another case, though, Nathan, of what have you done for me lately? When you have alums who 
are the the Johnny Come Latelys, and they're not the older folk. They don't remember what happened a few decades ago. They live for the now. So you, these alums who have a lot of power because they provide money to the athletic department, if they say we want a coaching change, a lot of times the school adheres to what they want. Don't bite the hand that fed you. Well, I agree, but again, it's what have you done for me lately. Our next headline, I'm doing cartwheels in the streets with this one. A group of five Major League Baseball owners during meetings in Chicago earlier this month approached Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig about remaining on the job beyond the end of his contract, which expires after the 2012 season. I could beat those five owners upside the head. Thank God Bud Selig said, you know what? I'm out. At the end of 2012, I'm done. My heart skipped a few beats when I read this story because I thought of Bud Seelig, who I think is one of the worst commissioners in the history of sports, who presided over a drug-infested era of baseball, who stuck his head in the sand while he knew that players were using performance-enhancing drugs all in the sake of record attendance, record revenues. You know, let's not out the people who are putting up these historic numbers because that's bad for our game. I want him out at the end of 2012. I think we need a fresh face. We need new leadership in Major League Baseball. And if he had decided to stick around, I was not going to be a very happy camper. Brian wasn't going to be a baseball fan anymore. Well, I agree with you. There's really nothing else to say. I can't wait for the guy to be gone. Quickly, ESPN earned a 14.4 metered market rating from Monday night's Patriots-Saints game, marking the best Monday night football overnight since the franchise moved to ESPN prior to 2006. Big, big numbers. NFL continues to do huge numbers on TV this season. Coming up next, Marshall Glickman. He's the CEO of G2 Strategic. Have we seen the end of the days where stadiums are financed by the public? We'll talk about that next with Marshall. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Malakalikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. (laughs) Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday (laughs) or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is Marshall Glickman. He's the CEO of G2 Strategic. He's joined us on the show many times before. You can find him online at g2strategic.net. Marshall, happy holidays. Thanks for joining us. To you as well, Brian. So, Marshall, I've gone on record many times on this show in the past year or so saying I think the days of publicly financed venues are over. I just don't think taxpayers 
are going to foot the bill for these big stadiums and arenas anymore. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think perhaps the days of purely publicly financed venues uh, are over, although I can't, frankly, cite very many examples of that in the first place. You know, there have been situations where teams have essentially threatened to move, or uh, and, and so ultimately, you know, the taxpayers agreed to foot the bill, or at least most of the bill. And then there have been situations where certain communities wanted to have sports teams, such as Nashville, you know, when they brought in uh, the uh, hockey team, um, where they were willing to go forward with publicly financed venues in order to bring in a team. But, you know, so, you know, I think that the nuances and the details are what's important. And I think you're going to actually see a lot of activity as the credit markets begin to come back. But the complexity of the deals is going to be um, quite um, quite uh, more intense than you've ever seen because they're truly going to be public-private partnerships, and there's all kinds of different and creative ways in which things can be financed. You're the former president of the Portland Trail Blazers. You've done this kind of a deal before. You've also done uh, deals for renovations of, of stadiums. Maybe you can walk our listeners through the process of how a venue gets built or how it gets renovated, because, Marshall, again, it seems like in the last few years it's harder than ever to borrow money. So if you don't have taxpayers contributing to the cost of a venue, then how is an owner to go out and purchase, or not purchase, but borrow money in order to build the venue? Well, indeed, um, borrowed money is how these things get built, or certainly how they've traditionally been built. Because not only is the private sector borrowing money for the part that they're contributing, but so too is the government. I mean, after all, when we did Portland, did the Rose Garden in Portland, you know, the city went and sold $42 million in bonds in the municipal bond market. Not too difficult for the city when they have a AAA bond rating to do that. Now uh, it is challenging even for municipalities to sell those kinds of bonds. And so, you know, the way in which debt instruments are structured indeed is going to change dramatically. And, you know, the scale of these projects is changing dramatically as well, right? It's more expensive to build arenas and stadiums than it ever uh, has been. So, you know, it's a very, very complicated process, but I think you're going to see situations. I mean, to give you a simple example, look at Eugene, Oregon. Here is essentially the new arena for the Oregon Ducks is being paid for uh, by public resources, but... The bonds that they're selling are being guaranteed by private resources in the name of Phil Knight. And so that's an interesting new spin on how public-private partnerships can work. Sometimes it's a different, you know, it's the opposite of that. It's a scenario where the private sector goes out and they're the borrower, but what the government brings is their good faith and credit to back up that debt instrument, which um, makes the cost of that money uh, cheaper. And um, so there's many, many ways in which it can be uh, done, uh, and it's very complicated. And also, there's a big real estate component, right? The example in Brooklyn, where the investment uh, in the arena 
ultimately is expected to leverage about a four and a half billion dollar build out of you know mixed use uh, residential, you know retail, uh, public space, and and other things. And you know there's a situation where you've got they're estimating sixteen thousand construction jobs, you know eight thousand permanent jobs, five and a half billion of tax revenues over about thirty years. So. I think, you know, what the public sector, I think, will continue to participate in these kinds of projects, but they are going, and rightfully so, they're going to demand an appropriate return. Do you think there's still cities out there that will roll out the red carpet for teams that may not be able to get a deal done in their city? I look at the San Diego Chargers down in San Diego. They've struggled for the last few years to try and get a new stadium there. And then in Sacramento with the Kings, the NBA Kings, they have been at a stalemate with the city of Sacramento for the last few years. Do you still think, I mean, we saw Oklahoma City woo away the Seattle Sonics and roll out the red carpet for them. Are there still cities in the United States that will make that kind of a commitment to woo a team away? It's a great question. Uh, I think there's a limited uh, inventory of those kinds of municipalities left, uh, frankly. And I think that there's a real question on you know, I understand why the Sonics moved to Oklahoma City, and, you know, I think on most levels it made sense, and certainly ownership had the right to do that. But on the other hand, from a big-picture level, trading Seattle for Oklahoma City, hmm, you know, one wonders if that's in the best long-term interest of the NBA. You know, the other thing that I think of is it seems like owners say, hey, look, if you build it, we will come, or maybe we'll come. And I look at Kansas City, the Sprint Center, and they've got this beautiful facility, and they're trying to get NHL, they're trying to get NBA, but so far no one's come, and they've got a lot of empty nights there. So even if you spend the money and build it, there's no guarantee that you're going to have an anchor tenant, right? Absolutely correct, Brian. I I can't think of any rationale as to why that building was built other than I do know it was developed by Anschutz Entertainment Group, and so uh, their business is largely rooted in live performance, not just sporting events. And so I think that the economics of that project made sense for them um, without having to have an anchor uh, sports tenant. We're joined by Marshall Glickman. He's the CEO of G2 Strategic. You can Find him online at g2strategic.net. Marshall, you've done a tremendous amount of work abroad with people looking to build venues. Is it slowing abroad as much as it is here as far as venue construction? Is it hard to build a venue abroad, too? Well, as recently as 2006, even 2007, the credit markets to do, you know, sports and state, you know, sports asset related projects, especially large infrastructure projects, were largely healthy and there was a fairly robust market, a credit market for that kind of activity, particularly in places like, you know, I mean, look, Dallas was financed, right? That's a 1.3 right. billion dollar project. The Giants Jet Stadium was financed, I think like a billion four. But these are teams that have had, you know, long operating histories. And so there could be a reasonable reliance that the revenue flow through those buildings would be more than sufficient to cover debt service over a long period of time. Since 2007, really in eight, uh, 2008 and this year, 2009, 
the credit markets indeed have largely uh, evaporated. You know, the global transaction volume of project finance, this is all called project finance when the debt is to be repaid from the revenues that flow through the project, that market uh, globally has declined over 50%. You know, we're talking billions and billions and billions. So indeed, uh, in in the European markets, it's really brought the whole thing to a screeching halt because, uh, you know, the indoor sports, basketball and hockey, do not generate even close to enough revenue to support the debt required to build a new arena, even if it's a you know modest design uh, kind of project. And you know the soccer market, although it's large in some places, and those are the ones we hear about over here in the states. You know, for the most part, soccer is not. You know, most situations aren't fifty to a hundred thousand people a game, and even then. You know, they play just a handful of games. And so, and the commercial markets aren't nearly as developed and as sophisticated as they are in the United States. So, what I'm talking about there is corporate partnerships and suites and club seats and all that. And those are the very dollars that lenders rely on flowing in order to cover uh, their loans. We're seeing more and more venues in recent years, and it seems like there's more of an effort to be green. Doesn't it cost more to be green? It may save you money over the life of the venue, but doesn't it cost you more money up front to be green? It's about a 20% premium, absolutely, on capital costs, which is a really big amount of money when you're talking about you know, several hundred million dollars. So you're right on that side of it. On the other side of it, though, there are, and this is where I think you're going to see a lot more kind of creativity and innovation put to work uh, in the context of public-private partnerships when deals do get done. You know, there's a whole swarm of tax credits and other government-backed incentives. So I think you will see um, a very aggressive movement towards building these things in the greenest way possible. Last question, change of topic. Uh, I'm based in Portland. You're familiar with Portland. They're trying to bring Major League Soccer here, but they need to find a home for the Portland Beavers, the AAA baseball team. I know you follow these things semi-closely, and obviously you were involved with this several years ago. How do you think this shakes out, and do you think Portland makes a good Major League Soccer city? I think Portland will be a great Major League Soccer city. I think Major League Soccer will come. Uh, I think it's more or less a done deal. Uh, I think that project is going to move forward. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the City Council of Portland made the decision um, several months ago to really de-link um, the need for a stadium, to, a new stadium to house the Portland Beavers AAA franchise from the discussions relating to uh, modifying PG Park uh, for uh, soccer. So I think soccer is going to move forward. I think it's very questionable, though, whether the Beavers uh, will be able to find a home anywhere in the Portland metropolitan area. So in that case, the only option is is move them outside of the Portland area. And do you think that hurts their brand, or uh, you know, could it be better for them? How does how do you think that works out? Well, who knows if the brand will even be the same when you say outside of the Portland metropolitan area? In my opinion, that probably means somewhere else, right? You know, not even in Oregon or Southwest Washington. I mean, look, I, I, the Beavers have. A tradition in Portland, Oregon, for what is it, Brian? 110 years, something right. like that. So, you know, emotionally, I happen to be staring at a 
old Portland Beavers pennant sitting here in my office. And so, you know, emotionally, um, it's very disappointing that Portland might not only lose the Beavers, but think about this. This is a big metropolitan market that may be left with no professional baseball at any level. And that aspect is disappointing. I don't really blame anybody for that because I think the opportunity to bring Major League Soccer is fabulous opportunity. I think it will do well. I think the ownership under Merritt Paulson is outstanding. The management team he's built is outstanding. I think PG Park's an ideal venue for Major League Soccer. But it's just, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit hard to swallow that the that the that the end result, you know, based on you know what we all read appears to be that there's not going to be home for the Beavers and that Portland would lose baseball in that scenario. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch and see how it all unfolds. He's Marshall Glickman, the CEO of G2 Strategic. Find him online at g2strategic.net. Marshall, happy holidays. Thanks for making time for us. Thank you. I appreciate it very much, Brian. Have a great uh, holiday season. You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Well, unless you've been under a rock, you have followed the story with Tiger Woods and his drama this week that took place in the wee hours of Friday morning, the day after Thanksgiving. And I'm not going to go into all the details because you've probably already heard them. There's been a lot of speculation. I want to spend the next few minutes covering this story from two different angles. Number one, how does this affect Tiger from the sports business angle? Because we're a sports business show. And number two, when I'm not hosting this show, I'm a media coach. I've worked with athletes, with coaches, with executives in crises. And I've helped them deal with the media. So I want to talk about that. So, Nathan, let's first start by talking about the sports business angle on this. Tiger Woods is the first billion-dollar athlete in the history of sports. Tiger Woods makes about $100 million a year for prize money and endorsements. He's got deals with enormous companies like Nike Golf, Gatorade, and many others. And he's the most successful pitch person of any athlete on the planet. That's all not to be argued. It cannot be denied. Here's the sports business angle on this, I think. As of now, none of his sponsors and the PGA Tour, no one is saying, Tiger, 
we want you to talk. And as long as he's not losing any sponsors, as long as his sponsors of the PGA Tour are not pressuring him to talk so the story goes away or so it's minimized in the 24-7 news cycle and so all the, the gossip pages aren't writing about it, he's not going to talk. And he's listening more to his lawyers right now than he is to his agent, to his publicist, or anyone else. So my point, Nathan, and you can weigh in on this, is unless Nike, Gatorade, any of his sponsors, or Tim Fincham, the commissioner of the PGA, and the PGA say, Tiger, enough. You've got to have a press conference. You've got to do an interview. You've got to address this. If none of those people are going to come down on the goose that lays the golden egg and makes all this money for these companies and for the PGA Tour— I don't think he's going to talk. Uh, And I don't think he's going to talk either because Tiger Wood never talks. He doesn't talk about anything. We, We barely know anything about his personal life. But it begs the question about whether or not all of his sponsors are going to stick with him. Because I have a hard time believing that Nike Golf, unless he does something catastrophic, is going to leave him. They built their entire golf brand around Tiger Woods. It'd be a huge financial mistake, unfortunately, you know, it's an ethical one, too, but it'd be a big mistake. It'll be interesting to see if some of the smaller companies, if there are any, that, that work with Tiger, like Accenture, maybe Tagheuer, decide to stay on board with him. Yeah, I mean, the other angle here, too, is this week Tiger was supposed to play in the Chevron Open, his own tournament, where proceeds go to the Tiger Woods Foundation. He has the Tiger Woods Learning Center. Tiger Woods is a philanthropist. Tiger Woods is raising money for his own charity. He's teaching children the game of golf. Some people this week have said, leave Tiger alone. He deserves his privacy. This is a family matter. We don't deserve to know about it. But if you're Tiger Woods and you're going out and you're talking to kids and you're asking people for money to give to your charity, there's an issue of credibility. And I think Tiger, the longer he stays silent, the more it looks like he's got something to hide. And frankly, the more credibility he's losing. And there are more and more allegations, sordid details of affairs and mistresses and what happened in the wee hours of that Friday morning that are coming out every single day. So now let's transition. Let me put my media coaching hat on. And let's talk about how this has been handled from a a PR standpoint to date. First of all, I think it's been handled very poorly. And I think— Are you you surprised by that? Let me just ask you that. I am surprised by that. Either A, Tiger's camp was unprepared uh, for—you know, Tiger's— He's led a charm life. He's never had anything like this ever happen to him where he's had to deal with any kind of adversity other than his injury last year. But no scandals or anything has ever— been associated with Tiger Woods. So now you've got scandal, speculation, drama out there. I wonder, was his camp prepared? I also think that he's listening to his lawyers as much as he's listening to anyone. And the lawyers are driving the boat on this. The lawyers are the ones saying, Tiger, you're not legally obligated to do this. You're not legally obligated to say this. He's listening to them. I don't know what his publicists are telling them, but I'm going to give you an example. David Letterman. David Letterman, a few months ago, Caught in an embarrassing scandal of his own. He was having an affair with one of his interns on his show. A lot of sore details. David Letterman found that, hey, this is going to get out. I'm a high-profile person. 
either I go on the offensive and meet this head on and fall on the sword and admit the wrongdoing, or I hope that this can be swept under the carpet. And if it's not, I'm playing defense. And I've got to respond to all the stories that are out there. David Letterman went on a show. We all saw it. He fell on the sword. Couldn't have been any more forthcoming. Couldn't have been any more honest. Once he did that, it was a non-story. There was nothing else to talk about. The only thing left in that story is, is David Letterman's wife going to stick with him? And if he does get divorced, how much is it going to cost David Letterman? Besides that, there's nothing more to speculate. The old adage in media coaching is, if you don't run, we can't chase you. There's nothing to chase. And also, as we've talked about with Marion Jones, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, the cover-up is worse than the crime. And look, Tiger Woods has not committed, to our knowledge, any illegal activity. There are people, and this is all speculation, there are people that have affairs all the time. But Tiger Woods, to date, has had a sparkling reputation. So if these accusations, these rumors of mistresses are true, I think it taints Tiger's reputation, but I don't think it taints his reputation to the point where Nike, Gatorade, the PGA Tour are going to separate themselves from Tiger. So in your mind, what, what, what is worse for Tiger's image? Let's, let's say Tiger had an Agassi-like episode where he admitted that he did an illegal substance, not necessarily a performance-enhancing drug, but he got caught using crystal meth. He got caught smoking pot. What is worse for his image? Is it the affair with a bunch of mistresses? Or is, it, or is it doing drugs? It's different for everyone. I mean, you know, some people will tell you one thing's worse than the other. Some people will say, you know what, come on. Most celebrities, most athletes are having affairs. This is no surprise. This is no shock. You know, Tiger's Teflon. He, this will bounce off of him, and it probably will. But, again, my point is this. Tiger asked for privacy. His agent has asked for privacy. This story is not a sports story anymore. This story is an entertainment story. And when it becomes an entertainment story and you've got paparazzi, you've got TMZ.com, you've got the National Enquirer, Us Weekly, Entertainment Tonight, all these people chasing you, if you think that they're going to relent and that you can wait them out and that they're going to get bored and they're going to move on to the next story and they're not going to chase you anymore, you got another thing coming. And that's where this story is different than Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, or anyone else. The sports media continue to chase those people, but the entertainment media are the most relentless, scummy, hide-under-a-rock people that you're going to find. So Tiger not speaking is continuing to give life to this story. And what's going to happen, Nathan, is Tiger Camp, Camp Tiger may say, all right, we've got all our ducks in a row. We're going to go on lockdown. We're not going to talk. We're not going to... But are you going to control all the other people out there? Are you going to control a woman who may get paid $100,000 by a tabloid to speak and has texts or voicemails? Are you going to control neighbors? You, you can't control everything. And once those embarrassing details get out there, now you're playing defense. Now you have lost your credibility. And, I mean, you and I could go through a list of people who have come out and fallen on the sword and a list of people who have it and who continue to run. And when you run, not only do they focus on the main 
accusations, but then they start digging up other stuff. Look at Bonds and Clemens. Okay, they're accused of doing performance-enhancing drugs. But, oh, by the way, look, when we were digging for dirt on them, we found that uh, are they going to get caught for tax evasion? Is Roger Clemens going to get caught for having an affair with, a, with an underage girl? Right. I you mean, it, it, the list goes on and on. But when you give the tabloid media fodder and when you raise their ire like Tiger is doing – and you don't address it, and you don't nip it in the bud, it gives life to the story. And, you know, if Tiger thinks, okay, I'm going to continue to dodge the media, I'm going to dodge the media through the holidays, and I'm going to show up in late January at the first tournament at Torrey Pines, and I'm just going to concentrate on golf. If he thinks that he's going to go to those press conferences and he's going to walk anywhere and not be inundated, by the entertainment media. Forget about the sports media. The entertainment media. He's fooling himself. And if I were coaching Tiger, I would say, Tiger, enough. You've already let this drag on. People aren't stupid. You're insulting the public's intelligence. Now, you know, we'll see. But if some of these sore details and proof, voicemails, emails, text messages, things like that come out that he can't deny. Now he's really lost a lot of credibility, and he looks like he's covering something up. And anytime you try and be dishonest or deceitful, it's always going to come back to haunt you. Well, one thing we talk about on this show a lot is uh, the public will forgive you. You fall on the sword. Even after the fact, the public will forgive you. This, this is unique in that uh, he's denied it. And to come back then and say, you know what, I, I made a mistake— when we talk about just coming clean, we're usually talking about it at the very beginning. The Roger Clements example. If Roger just come out from the very beginning and said, you know what, I did take performance-enhancing drugs. How does that apology now affect Tiger Woods now that he's denied any, any involvement? I still think if he comes out in the next week or so and falls on the sword, and you know he doesn't have to go into the gruesome details, but if he comes out and gives... Just enough of an apology. Like, I acted inappropriately? Yeah, I mean, he put out a statement last week, and I apologize, and I'd like my privacy. Well, the only thing it looked like he was apologizing for was a car accident in his own driveway. Well, okay, that's that doesn't fly, because you're not apologizing for a car accident in your own driveway. You're apologizing for something else, but you're not saying what that something else is. Look, there's a lot of people who think this is a private matter for Tiger Woods. The reason I disagree with that is because Tiger is one of the most high-profile people in the world. Tiger has brands that are tied to his name and people that are paying him enormous amounts of money to tie their brands to his name and to his credibility and to his ability to play golf. And then the last reason, like I mentioned earlier, Tiger is a philanthropist. Tiger is someone who is trying to have a good influence on kids. When you lose your credibility like this, the people who were donating to the Tiger Woods Foundation, the people who you're talking to, the kids, you're telling them, hey, don't make mistakes, don't do this, stay out of trouble, take the right path. If you haven't done that yourself, you look kind of like a hypocrite, don't you? Well, yeah, you definitely look like a hypocrite. I would hope that people see beyond Tiger and see the kids when they're donating money. Of course, you don't want Tiger out there in the public telling kids to make the right choices in life. But on that same note— this money's not going into Tiger's pocket. 
when we're talking about Tiger as a philanthropist. We're talking about money that's going towards a great cause, and he has the ability to raise that kind of money. And so I would hope that people would still continue to donate to the cause, not necessarily supporting Tiger, but donate instead for the kids. So let's wrap this up here and come full circle. Number one, I don't think, like you said, to use your word, unless something catastrophic happens, I don't think Tiger sponsors and I don't think the PGA Tour are going to do anything to distance themselves from Tiger. I think Tiger has got way too much good PR money in the bank, so to speak. He's done way too many things well. He's had a sparkling reputation. And, frankly, he's made the PGA and his sponsors a ton of money via his association with them. So I don't think that they're going to separate themselves from the goose that lays the golden egg. The other part of this that I will watch with a great deal of curiosity is, does Tiger continue to stonewall everyone? Does he continue to not say anything? Or at some point, is Tiger going to speak? And I think the longer he doesn't speak, the more guilty he looks. And as we talk all the time on this show, there's two courts. There's the court of law, where it doesn't seem like he's broken any laws. And there's the court of public opinion. The court of public opinion right now is saying that... This is all looking pretty shady, Tiger. We're not buying your stories. You're losing credibility with us every day that goes by where you're not addressing this and you're just asking for your privacy. We're not asking Tiger to tell us all the intimate details of what happens in between the walls of his house. But I think because he's a high-profile person, he needs to address this. And if he doesn't, the entertainment media, not the sports media, the entertainment media is going to wear him out. And... They're going to find details, and he's going to be playing defense, and that's not a position that you want to be in in this game. Well, the hard thing is if there are other mistresses than the ones we've heard about, and Tiger then falls on the sword and says he acted inappropriately, it'll be interesting to see how many more women possibly come well, out of the Well, and we don't know for a fact that any of these alleged mistresses are, in fact, telling the truth. So we want to be clear on that. Yep. But it certainly looks incriminating at this point. All right. We'll be back with our final segment of this edition of Sports Business Radio. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, We'll help you practice your new skills, and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Illustrated has selected Yankees shortstop Derek Jeter as the 2009 Sportsman of the Year, marking the first time that a Yankee has won the award in the 55-year history of the award. 
And uh, Jeter's being honored, obviously, for leading the Yankees to their 27th World Championship, but also for his charitable work through his Turn 2 Foundation. He beat out other athletes, including Lakers guard Kobe Bryant, Colts quarterback Peyton Manning, and sprinter Usain Bolt. I'm surprised, Nathan, that uh, this is the first time that a Yankee has won this award. I would have thought, you know, Joe DiMaggio or, I don't know, someone in the Yankees lore would have won this award previously. Well, I'm actually surprised that Derek Jeter's never won this award before. Of all the Yankees, Derek Jeter has led them to championships before. He's been a great player the whole time through. I'm surprised he hasn't won it earlier. Jeter is entering the final year of a 10-year, $189 million deal. I can't see Jeter. I mean, to me, this would be even more uh, egregious than Brett Favre playing in a uniform other than the the Packers if Jeter ever wore another uniform other than the Yankees. I just can't picture it. So I can't imagine that the Yankees would ever let the face of their franchise and, and one of the most beloved Yankees in history of the organization leave that organization. Yeah, they, they would be absolutely nuts to let him go. I agree. All right, in a few weeks, we're going to be doing our top 20 sports business stories of the year. And I want to invite you to submit your nominations for your top sports business stories of the year. You can either send us your top 20, your top 10, or if you just think, hey, here's a story that I want you to include on the list, email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. Brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're going to devote two weeks to those top 20 stories, 20 through 11, and then 10 through 1. All right, lots of thank yous on the show this week. Marshall Glickman, the CEO of G2 Strategic. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. Find me on Twitter at SB Radio. Happy holidays. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses, happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference.